Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Okay, Britney Spears is making headlines, and not for the reasons we would hope post-conservatorship, but Britney Spears' recent nudes that she's posted have actually had me thinking a lot about the public reaction uh, to this. It's fascinating. Some people are saying maybe the conservatorship needs to be implemented again. Other people are saying, hey, she's just getting out of her system. What other people had the opportunity to do when they were younger that she couldn't do because she was off social media. But it does bring up a fascinating conversation surrounding what people actually think about nude photos. So we'll get to that in just a moment uh, here on Trending. As we see the overturning of Roe versus Wade is eminent with the leaked majority opinion by Justice Alito. We are in the midst of a massive national debate that is only getting hotter on the topic of abortion. We're going to take some of the toughest questions and most uh, common questions today surrounding abortion. So if you have a question, I'd love to take it. The number is one 888 914-9149. You can also ask your question now on Instagram, on my story. Just follow me at Timree. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to ask your question. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is our dear friend of Trending, Father Tim Grumbach. He is the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Diocese of Los Angeles. He's also involved in many ministries from Focus, Net Ministries, Life Teen, volunteering his time in his priesthood, help build up the future of the Catholic Church. Father Tim, welcome back to Trending. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm missing my students from Alamany. This week I am with the NET Ministries, so a shout out to the national evangelization teams uh, and their missionaries who are wrapping up their mission year this week in Minnesota. So it's a a joy to be able to join you from uh, the same time zone I think we're in right now. Yes, we are in the same time zone. Isn't it nice? And I'm asking to talk to you at what I thought was like 6 or 5 a.m. Pacific time. And I realized, (laughs) hey, you're available. (laughs) But hey, I know the recent Doctor Strange 2 movie has just come out. Everything from the multiverse to a lot of themes in the Marvel Universe. And I know that you recently saw the second Doctor Strange movie. And we were talking about some of the outstanding themes in Doctor Strange having to do with motherhood and fatherhood that are absolutely fascinating. And I'd like to unpack this, especially starting with fatherhood. Yeah, I actually think it would be best to kind of start on some of the themes of the multiverse that they're looking at first. And I think that ties into uh, relationships and how we view ourselves and where we find our identity. Uh, because you know, Marvel has come a long way from you know uh, Iron Man fighting terrorists to the Avengers fighting aliens, and now they've got all these multiversal threats. And it's just oh, always struck me. The, yeah. <laughs> I can't stand the multiverse. I would like to go back to the original Marvel movies, well, but I get well, yeah. it. The multiverse is yeah. part of it. <laughs> yeah, and so many stories are being told about time travel and multiverse, and I think that's because we we hate ourselves, <laughs> um, or at least where we're at, because I think so many of these stories are being. Told told, not just in Marvel, but in DC and all over the place, because, you know, we, we look at where we're at and we don't like the world we're in and we might not like ourselves. So we wish we could go to the past or to a different universe and change something about our past. And then we would finally be able to be comfortable with our present. And then finally we had hope for the future, but that's not how God works. 
And so we're looking at these stories and it's easy to get trapped in this idea of like, maybe there's another me out there who's better rather than, you know, uh, in you know, obedience to God's will, uh, seeing where we're at, uh, receiving it, accepting it, um, but also letting that transform us rather than wanting to change our past. Because not even God wants to change our past. Not even God wants us to, you know, be different in another universe. He loves us where we're at. And these stories don't really, really uh, let us do that. So, um, you know, having a relationship with ourselves and with God, you know, it's a little hard to see in these movies. And so we're looking at Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. And so it's the story that Marvel is diving into, you know, all these different uh, versions, variants of each character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll give a little spoiler warning. We'll touch on some of the themes, major themes of the movie. But if you haven't seen the movie, uh, you know, and you want to see the movie, just be prepared for some spoilers. But also listen to this later. You can always listen to the podcast (laughs) later and give us your thoughts. Yeah, and we really have to give a warning because uh, it is a horror movie. And it's the first time uh, Marvel has really done this. And there is some very graphic violence. So if you, know, if you, you want to take your children to see this movie, just really be careful. It's rated PG-13, which is kind of ridiculous because I think as a 13-year-old, I would have been traumatized by these things. Really? But also, I just saw Father Stu a couple weeks ago, and it's rated R for language. And so if you're basing it just off of rankings or ratings out, out of context, you would be more traumatized by watching Father Stu than you would be uh, for watching Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So, uh, so that's kind of setting the foundation for what we're looking at. And I think that this movie actually touches on some really important and profound themes of fatherhood and then motherhood, maybe without even meaning to do so. And so we can actually draw some uh, really important themes about motherhood and fatherhood, uh, maybe by accident. And so the first that I would like to look at is uh, Doctor Strange as a father. And this is very strange, obviously, pun intended, because as a character, Doctor Stephen Strange keeps making these quips in almost every movie that he's in for Marvel. Uh, played by Benedict Cumberpatch, that he is glad he's not a father. He, you know, this is why he doesn't have children and all of these things. And he's a character, a deeply flawed character, who is fighting through a lot of selfishness. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, he's making these remarks about fatherhood throughout. And so he's not a father. He's not married. He, he is dedicated to protecting the multiverse as the Sorcerer Supreme. And so all of these Marvel things. Uh, but this movie actually, maybe by accident, portrays him as a father figure. Um, so did, did you get anything, Timory, out of like, I, I sent you a little synopsis or anything that stuck out to you about, uh, you know, Dr. Strange as a father? You know, it's fascinating because like you said, here Dr. Strange is from the get-go of the launch of the series. He's kind of known as this very selfish human being and you see him mm-hmm. grow as he has a capacity with these fou- with his powers, but then you bring in this new character in Doctor Strange 2, the multiverse of madness, and you have this character, American Chavez, who ends up turning to him, like you said, in a way that is extremely fatherly, that helps her in implementing um, how to understand herself and her powers. And I do find it fascinating to see, and I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that particular relationship that I think in a culture where there's a lot of confusion and brokenness surrounding paternal relationships, it shows how one rather broken individual starts to find healing through perhaps the least expected person um, who's even not even seeking to be that type of father figure. Yeah. And, and what I love about it is, you know, in so many movies and stories being told these days that when you have a male figure and a female figure, there's going to be this sexual tension, even if it's an older male and a younger female. Um, I think the only other place where I've seen this, I forget, it was like Cars 3, I think, where you had this, you know, you know a beautiful story about a, a, a male figure and a female figure, and it, there was no sexual tension there, thankfully, in Cars 3 of all movies, right? Um, but in this movie, you, you have America Chavez, and, and, and I think this is why nobody wants to talk about this fatherhood of Doctor Strange in this movie, is because... America Chavez in the comics, and so this is faithful to the source material, is uh, she is the daughter of two moms in another universe. And so she doesn't have a father. And I don't know if that's ever approached in the comics, but maybe by accident they do it here in this movie and nobody would want to talk about it because they want to lift her up as this LGBTQ plus uh, figurehead for Marvel. 
uh, America Chavez is you know on her jacket there's a there's a rainbow pride pin and in Spanish written on her jacket is amor es amor you know the the great motto and rallying cry of the of that movement is love is love and you know regardless of whether or not that makes any sense um, you have this character who's lifted up for this uh, this this part of the population and for this movement and she has two moms and so she has had no father figure in her background. And her moms are lost through a great tragedy. Uh, and then she is you know, bouncing through the multiverse because she has no parents, no mothers, no, and she's never had a father. But it seems throughout the story, throughout the movie, she keeps latching on to these, and maybe that's not the best way to say it. She keeps building a relationship of sorts with this, you know, these different variants of Doctor Strange throughout the different universes in the multiverse. And sometimes they betray her over and over again, actually. The, the Doctor Strange... Uh, variants betray her until this final one that she meets who is our Doctor Strange in our MCU and you know he has the opportunity to betray her and he doesn't and what's incredible is that throughout the story she has no control over her multiverse jumping powers she can go through the multiverse whenever she wants but she has no control over it and it's not until like the final big horrific battle that he leads her and protects her and helps her find her way. And so it just says so much about fatherhood that, you know, it's meant to be protective and it's meant to provide. But, you know, especially with sons, it's meant to teach a son how to uh, you know, express his aggression in a healthy way. And, you know, America has never had a father to protect her and provide for her and teach her how to use her power and her aggression in a healthy way until she has this relationship throughout the movie with Doctor Strange. And so it's, you know, they want to lift up that she has two moms, but by doing so, they show her, you know, what's really lacking in her life is this father figure and this reluctant Doctor Strange becomes this one who can protect her, provide for her and teach her how to use her powers. And that's a message I don't think Marvel was intending to convey to us. This is fascinating because sometimes there are moments where I say, does Hollywood realize how brilliant they just were in appealing to the natural <laughs> function of the human person, human nature, human brokenness? And there's so many themes here to unpack with America Chavez turning to Doctor Strange in the face of having two mothers, never having a father figure, and just that, that reaching out that is so normal for someone, whether via a divorce, whether a bit via abandonment or whether via having, you know, two so-called mothers or two so-called fathers, because that's what adults for some reason have thought is okay to do to kids today. It shows that no matter which way you cut it, there's something that is missing. There's a void. And if Hollywood could see this void and appeal to it, I think they do know what they did, Father Tim. I think that they knew that they were appealing to a young generation that was hungry for a father figure to help build them up. Hollywood knows this. Hollywood's full of brokenness. Hollywood is full of, even though they're saying dads aren't necessary, they know deep down inside from their own personal journeys how necessary fathers actually are. Yes, and this is not the first time that Marvel has told a story somewhat like this. Uh, in Eternals, which I think it, was, it came out last year, it was the, the first time that they had two male characters who were married and had a son together. And, you know, they, they portray it in a positive light. And so there's no doubt that these young children are loved, right? We're not saying that they are unloved, but we're saying that there is going to be something lacking for their life. Mm -hmm. And yes. uh, they haven't gone to the point yet where you have two mothers and a son or two fathers and a daughter. So it was two fathers and a son in Eternals. And again, you get the sense that, you know, they're not unloved, but they, you know, they maybe accidentally touch on you know, the benefit of having a mother and a father uh, for these children right. uh, without meaning to do so. Yes, absolutely. And there are a few things I do want to touch on, just especially from having worked in the crisis pregnancy centers and the pro-life movement for so long. I have seen women heroically and selflessly choose abortion in the face of circumstances that they knew were less than ideal for a child. And a child, yes, maybe that they had considered aborting at one point or a child who they desperately wanted to raise, but they chose to place their child with 
parents, a mother and a father, because they knew that was something that they could not give their own children. And so this whole theme of, quote, two moms or even just the culture that thinks it's okay to have kids without a mom and a dad and just because we women you know, fertility and having children are such a part of us as human beings that we're realizing this later. And a lot of women are choosing to parent alone. I I look to that example, Father Tim, of young women who are choosing to place their children for adoption. They're choosing adoption because they are trying to choose the best possible outcome for a child to have a mother and a father. Not just one mom, not to be placed with two moms, yet because of politics today and just this LGBTQ ideology that is ironically being pushed in Doctor Strange is also at the same time showing the necessity of how a human person always needs a father and a mother in that human development, psychologically, physically, emotionally, that full, well-rounded development is so necessary and we don't have it, we seek it in other ways. And so, Father Tim, I just want to speak briefly to how, you know, maybe you're listening now and you didn't have a father figure in your life, or, or maybe, you know, he wasn't a great father figure, or whatever may have happened, how important it is uh, in finding those paternal relationships that can be healing, but especially, can you speak to turning to God, our Heavenly Father, to help in healing those paternal wounds, and how you, how uh, that transforms any brokenness that may have been experienced? Yeah, I've had so many conversations with people in counseling and in confessions about, you know, these father wounds and, you know, how does that, how do you relate to God as a father? Do you draw away from that image of God, uh, of God as a father or does it draw you closer to God as a father because you've never known a, a true earthly father? And it's, it's kind of run both ways. Um, but, you know, in my own spiritual fatherhood, which is incredible, you know, I, people would sometimes treat the priest's celibacy and spiritual fatherhood as like a consolation prize because I can't get married. Um, but my spiritual fatherhood is is so real. It's real in a different way than biological fathers. Um, but I've, I've never been so sure of it as through this year of my priesthood and being here with these missionaries that spiritual fatherhood is so real. And so I just you know, want to encourage a, a deep prayer of you know not being afraid to approach those wounds in prayer and just inviting God to be a father and to provide those father figures, those spiritual fathers uh, in your life if you you have a difficult or no relationship at all with your own earthly father. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Murray. We'll be right back and we're going to talk about more themes coming out of the latest Doctor Strange movie, The Multiverse of Madness. Actually, a horror film was almost rated R. A little bit of a warning if you're taking your kids. Might want to wait till they're a little older. But we're coming back with more of those themes today on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Have you seen the latest Doctor Strange movie? Are you interested? It's the second Doctor Strange movie, The Multiverse of Madness. It was almost rated rated R, uh, but it wasn't. It's actually a horror film, which is interesting for Mar- Marvel. And joining me now to discuss the film is Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School. He's there as the chaplain in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, in the film, part of the story, as I keep complaining, I can't stand multiverse films. And this is another multiverse film, but one of it, the storylines in Doctor Strange 2 centers around the villain who actually centers around motherhood, which is really interesting as well, that there are these stark contrasting themes of motherhood and fatherhood in this horror film by Marvel. Can you talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on the Wandra mother figure, who's also the villain of the movie? And I was just kind of chuckling to myself. Uh, the kids would say that uh, this Doctor Strange movie is actually super based, right? It's because under the surface of you know having characters like America Chavez, LGBTQ, 
uh, to mothers and uh, having this, this uh, you know, anti-hero uh, Wanda Maximoff, also known as the Scarlet Witch, is that it has, it's actually pointing to these really deep themes of fatherhood and motherhood. And again, you know, if you want to see this movie, there's going to be intense spoilers right now. Um, uh, also, some spoilers about the, about the show WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. So just a warning there. Um, but this, you know, Wanda is a, a character who has experienced such deep, deep loss and grief in her life. Just about everyone that she has loved deeply has died in front of her. And, you know, you see that throughout the Marvel movies. And so the TV show on Disney Plus is about her, how she's handling her grief. And for a while during the show, she kind of creates her own world so she can have everything back. She uses her immense, um, immense witchcraft power to create a family, to create a, a world around her. But then she has to uh, let go of that for the good of the world, um, but also to really face her own grief. And so she has this tremendous character arc of, uh, of loss, grief, redemption uh, throughout WandaVision. And then it's almost kind of tossed out the window for this movie because she's resorted to uh, a dark magic in order to get back her children, to get back her family that she had to let go of. And so she's looking through all of these uh, different universes, trying to find her children so she can steal them from those universes, you know, steal them from the Wanda of those universes and have them for her own. And that's why she wants to find America Chavez and take her powers away from her. So that's the plot of the movie is, you know, pretty much the question, what is a mother not willing to do for the sake of her children? How deep into this dark magic and into violence and killing is Wanda willing to go in order to get her children back? And she goes all the way. You know, this is a horror movie. And so there's some really awful things that happen. Again, some of the, the grossest, most violent, most graphic violence in the MCU is in this movie. Uh, there's a lot of uh, demonic elements. And so, you know, just be careful. A lot of uh, discretion in watching this movie. But she comes to a moment where uh, she just decimates the heroes of another universe. And she says something like, I'm not a monster. I'm a mother. And, you know, that's why I would say this movie is super based because it, you know, it presents this distortion of motherhood as villainous. And so Wanda is not evil because she's a mother, but because it's this villainous motherhood that, you know, in the end, you know, she is uh, willing to kill to get what she wants. She tears through another world's mightiest heroes trying to convince herself, I'm not a monster, I'm a mother. And, you know, there's almost something darkly admirable about her tenacity to have her children. Um, but she's not afraid to take life in order to have the life she wants and the life that she feels mm -hmm. she deserves, um, it, which is incredible. And I think that actually speaks to the distortion of motherhood that we see in the pro-abortion movement in the world today. It's interesting because as I'm hearing so much of what you're saying, I am curious, based on your having seen the movie, is her story of motherhood, is it something that is driving her crazy or is it something that's driving her to uh, noble works in her fight for her children? Or is it all about her? You know, the, because I think today you'd mentioned the cultural attitude about motherhood. Most of the attitudes surrounding motherhood, we are so guilty of this as women. Motherhood is about us and how we feel. And it's about making us happy. And women only want to be moms as long as they feel good. Women only want to nurse as long as they enjoy it. You know, it's so much about our feelings and our experience and not actually about our kids. How do you see that connecting into the storyline of Wanda in Doctor Strange? Yeah. Well, first of all, we still love Wanda as a character in, in Marvel uh, because of how much grief we've watched her go through, how she's dealt with that grief. And they do work it in where she's kind of being controlled by the magic that she's using. And so, you know, maybe you could say that about our culture as well is you know, um, being controlled by the lies that uh, that people have believed that uh, this distortion of motherhood uh, is affecting souls. Um, and so uh, Wanda is clearly doing something, um, you know, out of a selfishness. Like we, we, she deserves comfort. She deserves healing. Um, but she is, she goes into the depths of, of violence and, and murder and destruction in order to get what she wants. And so you can see that she is not doing this 
out of a noble cause. And that's actually, and this is the, a great spoiler, this is the end of the movie. Uh, you know, she's defeated not by the power of another, um, but America and Doctor Strange allow her into the universe that she's trying to get into. She, they allow her into the home where she's trying to steal her children uh, from another Wanda in another universe. And what her children see is you know, Scarlet Witch in all of her terrible majesty. And they are terrified by her. They are terrified by this monster, this distortion of motherhood, and they reject her. And she sees this rejection and it breaks her. But it also, it allows her to see like in the mirror of her children's horror, what she's become. And then there is some redemption at the end of the movie. And so, you know, I'm just really struck by that idea. You know, the, the mirror of her children's horror reveals to her what she's become, that she's not being a mother, she's being a monster. And so instead of her, her motherhood being about receptivity, nurturing, and then bearing out to the world, as you know, every mother must receive love, nurture love in her womb, and then bear it out to the world, she has, it's all become about uh, you know, what she wants, when she wants it, and how she wants it. Mm -hmm. And you could say a lot about you know, the, the, you know, the culture of death is that you know, I want it when I want it and how I want it, mm -hmm. and I'm going to kill in order to get that. And so mm -hmm. uh, we have a character who's not fighting for a noble cause, in the end uh, but it's the nobility of motherhood that eventually transforms her and she gets to see what motherhood truly looks like and you know and that's where the story leaves us off and so i, mm -hmm. I know elizabeth olsen has signed on for like seven more years of marvel movies or something like that <laughs> so her arc is not done and so we're, we're hoping that she will be able to uh, become a, a, a mother in the truest sense rather than the sense of a, a mother who takes life rather than gives it Wow, there's so many themes here to unpack and a word about Elizabeth Olsen in a moment, but it is interesting that her motherhood is what is destroying her, but it will also be, it sounds like what redeems her, which leads me to the question, where in the Marvel Universe timeline does this rest? I'm assuming it's before her kind of conversion, self-control participation in the Avengers. Oh, this is, this is the newest uh, part of the MCU. And so this is, uh, the freshest stuff. So it's it's after her time with the Avengers. Oh, interesting. It's after okay. WandaVision where she had experienced that healing. Uh, and uh, and so so moving forward, we don't know what uh, okay. what lies ahead for her, but it it is it shows this this deep corruption out of something that had become beautiful. And you know it, that's that's the ultimate story of the fall. Yeah. It, it speaks to how important it is for us as women today to work through that brokenness we are living in the respect that we have a broken attitude toward motherhood that it's all about me and the question is how do we maybe have that opportunity of a perspective shift that wanda clearly has the end of dr strange by seeing the terror that her own children have and seeing her for what she is how do we see ourselves for what we are before we become the, the terror to our children? I think that that's a really important question and it's a reality check that we need to have repeatedly in our lives. You know, at what point am I making things about myself? At what point am I focusing on myself? At what point am I making my child miserable because of the way I am choosing to do things on my terms? Like you said, that whole my body, my choice, it's at the heart of abortion. Motherhood, we are allowing to destroy us from the, the conception of a child and the thought of abortion, even to parents who are choosing to parent their children. Father Tim, on a total side note, kind of just funny note. Uh, so Elizabeth Olsen plays Wandra Scarlet Witch in Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe. Funny story. So anyone, you know, older than <laughs> Gen Z knows that she walks in the shadows of her sisters, oh, yes. the great shadows <laughs> of her sisters, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Now this is a total like generational um, jump here because about five years ago when I was talking talking to my mom about Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. I'm going on and on and on and we're having this conversation and my brother walks up and he goes, her name is Elizabeth Olsen. And he looks at me like so disgusted as in like, Timur, get with the times. You're not even referring to her with the correct name. And it was such a funny moment, Father Tim, because he had no idea that she had twin sisters who are like multi, multi-millionaires and way more famous than she probably will ever be. And it was just this moment where it's so funny because our perspectives were totally different. And it was like Gen Z versus millennial <laughs> jump. I thought it was so funny. 
Yeah, and somebody recently said, did you realize that Mary-Kate and Ashley aren't even identical twins? They're fraternal twins, apparently. I, I don't know if that's true. I'm like, you know, this is, you're trying to ruin my childhood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day we'll see the Olsen twins make a comeback to Hollywood, although they seem quite content yeah. to being outside of the Hollywood scene. Yeah. Father Tim Grumbach, thank you so much for being with us today on Trending and taking a deep dive into the latest installment of Avengers and the Doctor Strange movies. If you'd like to follow Father Tim on social media, we've tagged him on Instagram and Twitter. You can stay connected with him and all the great work he's doing with youth today. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. I'll be right back to talk about, yes, indeed, um, Britney Spears and the interesting reaction. I'm not saying to go look at them at all. But the reaction people are having post being released from her conservatorship to the recent nudes that she posted it says a lot about what we think about nude photos as a culture. Also, taking the toughest abortion, most common abortion questions today the number is 1-888-914-9149 you can also ask your question now on instagram Today's show is sponsored by Colby Academy. With more than 40 years of experience in Catholic home education, Colby Academy offers a blend of classical Catholic curriculum and the latest educational technology. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Roe versus Wade will be overturned. According to the confirmed leaked document by Justice Alito last week, indicating that five of the justices are indeed voting, if not maybe even six, to overturn Roe versus Wade in the coming months. The debate is hot surrounding abortion, and I would like to hear from you. What are the most common pro-abortion arguments you're hearing? Is there anything new you're hearing, and are there any abortion arguments you would like help working your way through? I have a lot of questions that have come in, so we're going to unpack some of those themes and what's happening. If you have a question or even would just like to hear a recent argument you heard in favor of abortion, the number is one 888-914-9149, or you can follow me on Instagram and ask your question anytime. I'll take more questions throughout the week as well on the abortion topic. So follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And in my Instagram story, I put a question box up if you'd like to ask your question. Before we go there, though, Britney Spears has been trending all week on social media, and apparently Britney Spears has seen better days, but she doesn't quite think so. Oops, she did it again. She is posting nudes online. Like, isn't she getting a little old for this? I'm just saying, I'm not calling her old, but at a certain point, this is just old news. I'm sorry. This is old news. I'm So please don't go and look at these photos. But what's interesting to me, I was following TMZ online and some of the stories covering the story about Britney Spears nudes and the reaction has been fascinating by her fans. You know, Britney Spears basically led to this massive national and even almost political debate and battle over conservatorships. That has to do with when someone is placed over you, basically like a guardian for an adult making all of your decisions. That's what was happening with her father, Jamie Spears. Now, she was released from her conservatorship just last year, talking about marriage, babies, all that great stuff. But it's interesting because here she started posting her own nude photos on social media this week. And the general consensus is this, that she is out of control. Isn't it interesting? The general consensus is that she is absolutely out of control. Now, there are two perspectives. One perspective is that she's getting out of her system what many people her age did but years ago, while she was underneath the thumb of her father with a conservatorship, just she wasn't posting it online because of that. Then the other perspective is, and so that attitude is like, just let her get out of her system. It's dumb. It's not appropriate. But, you know, just let her get it out of her system. The second consensus is that while they still believe she's out of control, 
people are saying maybe it's cause for her to enter back into a conservatorship if she's going to post nude images. This is a riveting debate. Not because they're nudes, but here's why. Because people... As a, gen- as a general consensus, are viewing the fact that she's posting these photos of herself nude, believe that something's wrong with her. People as a general consensus are actually questioning her sanity, or they're saying she's making dumb decisions, which is ironic in a culture that is so pro-pornography that is struggling as a whole with utilizing pornography, that as a culture, we're actually seeing that people are saying, "Mm, posting nudes isn't quite normal behavior. It's, they're making it very clear they think it's either A, immature behavior, or that they think that it's behavior that is bordering on a slight bit of insanity and the need for someone to reel her in. What this proves is that as a culture, we do view the participation everything from sexting to nudes or any public discussion about the perverse attitudes that many young people have today as reckless, a dumb choice, and it obviously, even with people who are secular, non-religious, or okay with looking at pornography, it reveals that the culture still believes that these nudes are revealing something private that shouldn't be revealed. And I think this is a lesson and reminder, especially for kids. The fact that most grown adults are still questioning the fact that Britney Spears is posting nudes is a reminder that even though a lot of people are okay with that and in their interpersonal interactions, they know it's not right. We still have a conscience, and this is a good thing, that the culture still has a sense of shame. And I think that the other thing that's fascinating, and it's a reminder for us, and it's a reminder of a conversation we should be having, and that is, is that the brain of all human beings, the prefrontal cortex, the capacity to reason and reason well, isn't really fully developed until the age of 25. And so isn't it fascinating? The culture is looking at, oh, Britney Spears, she's kind of just doing stuff that's inappropriate and you do when you're younger. But when you're older, you're expected to have a better public image and not post nudes, for example. Well, if that's the case, if we view this as something that young people do and they shouldn't do, Maybe we shouldn't be giving them cell phones and media where they're tempted, encouraged, and outright asked by their peers and by strangers to post such images. Wouldn't it seem more reasonable to not give that level of natural inclination on a platform that is very much so oriented toward reckless behavior. Sure, your kid can use social media and technology well, but what I know is that the vast majority of young people are using cell phones and are being solicited for sexting, nudes, and pornography. Why give that level of temptation? This is why we have guests such as Melanie Hempy and others, including um, many of our doctors and medical doctors and PhD psychologists discussing the importance of reeling in the control when it comes to screen time, screen use. And so I really hope you'll listen to some of those episodes. We've done two episodes, one with Dr. Leonard Sachs and one with Melanie Hempy from ScreenStrong.com, both talking about why 30 minutes of tech time is actually too much time for a kid. And I'm talking about like social media or texting use. So I hope you'll listen to those podcasts. We'll link them in the podcast for today's show and also post those links on social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Okay, so let's get to some of the debate and conversation circling around abortion. If you have a question, the number is 1-888-914-9149. It's also not too late to ask your question now on Instagram. Mark is calling from Eureka, California to share a recent argument he's heard about abortion. Mark, welcome to Trending. What is the abortion argument you are hearing that you'd like to hear answered today? Hi, Timory. Thanks for taking my call. I I wonder if the pro-life movement and Catholics would not benefit by articulating what RV, uh, Roe v. Wade, overturning Roe v. Wade would act, what the effect would actually uh, encompass. In other words, 
it's not necessarily outlawing abortion. And I, I totally understand that Catholics and, and, and Christians, uh, and myself included, are against, oh my gosh, against abortion. But, but overturning RV Wade doesn't, doesn't outlaw abortion right, as right, far right. as I understand. Absolutely. Yeah, Mark, this is a great question. You're asking for clarification because here the pro-life community is celebrating and rejoicing the fact that abortion, um, the abortion ruling of Roe versus Wade, Planned Parenthood versus Casey and Doe versus Bolton are being overturned. But what does that mean? Like you said, it means that there's no so-called constitutional right to abortion that the Supreme Court justices created out of nowhere, therefore basically creating a federal national law, essentially, that made a legal right to abortion. So what Roe versus Wade is doing is it's overruling those prior rules. So what's happening now is it will allow for individual states to pass laws state to state determining what their pro-life or what their pro-abortion laws will be for their state. Prior to this, Planned Parenthood versus Casey and Roe versus Wade made it so that the line drawn in the sand essentially led to, in Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, that the only restrictions you could place on abortion really had to be prior to viability. At this point, viability is viewed as 22 weeks when a baby can survive with medical attention outside of the womb. So what's happening is we are seeing the largest capacity in the history of the last 50 years of legalized abortion in the United States, where we can actually implement very strong pro-life laws outlawing abortion. We're able to overrule this so-called constitutional right to abortion that never existed. And so this is why it's such a big deal because it's the beginning of a new fight. And this is why I keep saying this is when the fight amps up. We need to be praying and fasting for an end to abortion that indeed we do see the Supreme Court as a position to do so overturn Roe versus Wade in the coming months. But then we are ready and we're already seeing this state to state. The fight will be so intense because we're seeing states such as Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, that are implementing radical pro-abortion laws. California, you have states such as Illinois and others where they are allowing for some of the most permissive abortion laws. And then you have other states such as Ohio, Iowa, Mississippi, Texas, Florida, and others that are becoming very pro-life states. And so we need to be involved on a political level in our states. We need to be involved in praying and fasting for our politicians, and for a cultural shift with regard to abortion. Because the reality is, is that for the last 50 years, the world has been told that abortion is legal. And people believe that what is legal is moral. And that is just not the case. And this is why we have to help reshape cultural attitudes and inform people on abortion. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit of what's been happening this last week. Briefly, if you didn't hear um, some of the news, we're seeing a number of churches being vandalized. In fact, one parish where the Eucharist, the whole tabernacle was stolen from the parish. Radical pro-abortion groups are actually threatening and saying that they're going to burn, physically burn the Eucharist. That is our Lord Jesus Christ, truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity. Uh, and so we've really got to pray. Some of the atrocities that are happening right now in the pro-abortion movement is going crazy. We are hearing more reports of pro-life clinics that are being attacked. Um, and the reality is, is that on a note, and I'm saying this because we're in a Catholic setting, the devil is so upset right now that abortion, truly human sacrifice is being compromised. This human sacrifice of millions of children will not happen at the rate it has been happening when Roe versus Wade is overturned in the coming months. And so you are seeing some of the darkest attitudes and responses to desecrating the Eucharist, to the disgusting things that people are willing to say about abortion. We need to be able to respond with prayer fasting, uh, fortitude, you know, acting in the face of fear, even when there are physical threats to our life. 
Now, speaking of that, there's one argument that is being made and will be made in particular as we are working through legislation in various states determining whether we'll have pro-life laws and pro-abortion laws. One of the common exceptions in laws that are even pro-life have to do with the life of the mother. That is, people will write a law and for the sake of maybe some partisan approval, they'll include a exception that abortion will be outlawed, let's say, after six weeks or after 15 weeks, except for there's a threat to the woman's health. Now, if the only law we have to vote on is a law that would absolutely outlaw abortion except for in those instances, we need to do the most good we can do. That's incrementalism, to go as far as we can in saving as many lives. And then we go back to the drawing board and, of course, eliminate that, so, that so-called exception to save the life of the mother. But I want to take up that specific argument of the fact that abortion should be accessible still to save the life of a mother. Here's my question. If someone's really going to say that abortion needs to continue to be legal to save the life of the mother, I would like to know when the last time it was occurred where we had to kill one person in order to save another in the instance of a baby and a mother, a child and a mother. This has never been a medical practice ever in human history that we would kill a baby to save a mom. Now, a mother could heroically forego a treatment, for for example, such as chemo or radiation, but it's the cancer that is life-threatening, not the baby. And yes, while the baby's life would be put at risk if she goes through and very likely or could die given certain medical treatments such as chemo and specifically radiation in particular and the damage that could be done to the baby, a mother could do that. Her intention is not to harm the child, but she could go through with medical treatment to treat her and the the double effect, the secondary effect would be that it could harm her child. That wasn't intentional. Or she could heroically choose to forego medical treatment that could be harmful to her child until after the baby's born. But a baby is not a disease to be eradicated and destroyed. Because we live in a pro-contraception, pro-abortion society, people think it's okay to continue to make the argument about, well, what about in the cases where a mother's life is at risk? Since when do we have to kill another human being in order to save another life? That's just not a reality. And so it's not a good argument. But it's interesting because I work a lot with training young young people today in how to be pro-life voices, how to respond to some of the toughest questions out there. Uh, One of the programs involved in helping train with is Vox Vitae. It's a summer program based out of California. You can check it out. But what's interesting is I see this over and over again. The one question that they will be stumped on, if not educated, is what about having access to abortion to save the life of the mother? And so that's why we need to be able to respond. There's no such thing as needing to kill a baby to save a mom. She may choose to forego medical treatment so that it doesn't harm a baby. That's a heroic choice. But there's no such thing as killing the baby. The baby is not the disease. The baby is not the problem The threat to a woman's life is something different. But because we've created a culture where people are led to believe that the only way women can be equal is if they have access to abortion, we've actually allowed them to bully us into not just not answering this argument about abortion to save the life of the mother, but where people are actually writing this into pro-life laws because we've been bullied into actually thinking it's a thing when it's not. Pro-abortion activists will be in full this weekend. There's an eminent protest occurring called Bands Off Our Bodies Day, May 14th. It's being put together by various pro-abortion groups, including Planned Parenthood. And that march with the nasty hats, we're really not a fan of. That is the Women's March. They are in uproar. They're not sure what to do. And so I hope that instead of protesting and abusing our Catholic churches and desecrating the 
Eucharist. This might channel some people's attention to hopefully some peaceful walks with some just nasty hats rather than showing up on our doorsteps of our churches or bombing our uh, various pro-life clinics and pro-life resource centers. Okay, another one of the common arguments that you're hearing on the streets has to do with so-called back alley abortions. People are saying if women don't have access to abortion, they will seek out, get this, quote, coat hanger abortions. If you've ever been to a pro-life walk or a pro-abortion protest, you've probably seen the the coat hanger abortion. This is a total lie. It's a myth. And actually, anyone who says that women are going to go back to dangerous coat hanger or back alley abortions is actually just dumb and does not know their history. Truly. And I'm not one to just call people that, but this is one of those moments where this argument is so lousy, we should be able to respond to it. Coat hanger abortions are a myth. Abortions were actually happening prior to Roe versus Wade. And get this, they were happening under the supervision of physicians. And yes, perhaps at times back alley because some states were most definitely pro-life states, but physicians were still doing them. Legalized abortion did not make abortion any safer or healthier for a woman. Let me make that very clear. Legalized abortion actually did not make abortion any safer or healthier for a woman. In fact, just to prove my point for just a moment here, because this is very, very important, there's a Supreme Court case that came out in 2016 where the, where the court ruled five to three in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstadt. And it was about a law that was being passed in the state of Texas that would have outlawed pretty much Um, or would have closed pretty much all abortion clinics in the state of Texas because the law actually had nothing to do with being pro-life or being pro-abortion. It was actually just asking that abortion clinics actually meet the basic standard of medical requirements and medical care within their facilities. Things such as having a planned uh, a plan in a connection with a local hospital in the event something goes wrong so you can quickly transfer from the abortion clinic to the hospital. They're also trying to keep up basic sanitary expectations to be able to put a gurney through the hallways of the abortion facilities. Basically, Abortion clinics don't meet basic standards of medical care or medical rules. So all the abortion clinics are going to close in the state of Texas. But guess what? Because of abortion being something that we have to have unfettered access to as women, instead of keeping women safe and healthy and making sure we're in safe environments for medical procedures, no, instead the court overruled at the time and made it so that all those abortion clinics could stay open with bad medical standards. You see, back alley abortions are a myth and the reality is it's the pro-abortion movement that's okay with unsafe abortion. And when we have good judges voting pro-life, such as we do in this instance, We are seeing these laws are changed and women will be protected. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. The question of the hour for our weekly Gentleman's Hour is can men and women just be friends? We'll talk about friendship and why it's important and a little bit of a crisis for men today. But in particular, that question surrounding, can men and women just be friends? I want to hear from you. So join me for our weekly Gentleman's Hour, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.